Whether this is her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct is everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct, your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Episode 53, Balancing Paying Off Debt and Thinking About the Future with Aaron Lowry. Welcome to the Frugal Friends Podcast, where you'll learn to save money, money, embrace simplicity, and live a richer life. Here are your hosts, Jen and Jill. Welcome! Hey, hey! Sorry for that, if that just startled your ears. Welcome back to the Frugal (laughs) Friends Podcast. My name is Jen. This is Jill. And we've got an awesome guest for you today. If you have been with us for a while... You will remember in episode 29, we introduced investing for frugal folks, and we had Andrew Wong from Inspired Money on and talked all about ways to save with financial planning, what to look for with fees for investments, and just overall, like, how to invest frugally. Mm -hmm. And so today, we've got Aaron Lowry from Broke Millennial, who just wrote a new book. It is out now. It's called Broke Millennial Takes on Investing. Mm. And she is going to talk to us about the other aspects of investing that's quite a controversial topic. It's balancing it while paying off debt, whether Mm -hmm. you should, whether you shouldn't. So expect to be challenged, expect to be affirmed, expect the unexpected. Wow, that's a big setup. I know, right? Erin's just great. She has a very balanced view on stuff. Mm -hmm. And we love it when people don't lean one way to the right or left that just take into consideration a lot of different Mm -hmm. situations. So I think Mm -hmm. no matter what your situation or stance is, you're going to get something from today's episode. So we're super stoked about it. Yeah, we are. Enjoy. You're welcome. Yes. As always. Uh, First, our sponsors. Also brought to you by reusing your things. Listen, I'm not talking about reusing your Ziploc bags after you've had raw meat in them. Although I know some people who do that. That's not what I'm referring to with this sponsor. But rather, wearing that sweater multiple times before washing it or filling up that water bottle again. We understand this concept when it comes to toothbrushes and towels. We love to reuse things. Reusing your things. Try try it on something different today. Mm. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it has me thinking, what would I reuse today what else that I would normally you, throw out? What could you reuse? Hmm. I don't know. Maybe my car. Oh. I don't know. Yeah. yeah definitely yeah. reuse your car. Like a, a few days in a row. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the cars will at least last a couple of days, so you don't have to throw that yeah. away yet. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that, sponsor. It's really got me thinking. <laughs> I think I'm going to reuse my hair, too. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll reuse that. Yeah. I like that. I'll Ariana Grande just buys new hair. <laughs> but, um, but the frugal thing to do would be to reuse it, I think. I don't get that reference, so. but I'm sure it's spot oh, on I'm and so relevant. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah, it is. It's okay. <laughs> Anyways, another thing spot on today is... Erin Lowry from Broke Millennial. She's got some great tips and definitely after hearing it, you'll want to go get her book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing from the library because it's out now. So without further ado, here we go. Here's Erin. Let's do it. Today we are joined by Erin Lowry of Broke Millennial. So excited to have you here, Erin. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much, Erin, for being on the podcast. We're excited about your work and all of the juicy goodness details that you are going to get to share with us. Mm. (laughs) So I'm thinking we can dive right in and talking about this whole balancing debt payoff while also thinking about the future. So as we think about this topic, there's a school of thought that you should be entirely consumer debt-free before you start investing. And others say invest through your debt payoff or at least take the match. And you have a really good balanced perspective on where someone should be financially to start investing. Could you share that checklist with us? Yeah, let's start with an easy one, guys. Jeez. Come on. <laughs> Nobody ever accused just, us of being easy. I said easy. we're diving in. That literally means yeah. the deep end, right? You can't right. dive into the shallow end. I mean, we we don't have a lot of time here. We just have a few hours. <laughs> well, I like coming in with the heavy hitting questions up first. And I will say to that point, with there being two very distinct schools of thought, because I actually had someone else recently on a different podcast talk about the consumer debt aspect and even feeling like you should be investing through that. I do not ascribe to that belief. I think there does need to be a balance, though. And I'm going to back this all the way up. First of all, when we say consumer debt, we're largely meaning credit cards or anything that carries quite a high interest rate. And we know on average, credit cards are between 15 to 30% APR, which is huge. Yeah. You're not likely to see those kind of returns in the market, especially on average. On average, we typically like to say 7 to 8%. Some people play a little bit more conservatively and say 6%. Some people go what I would consider to be a bit too high and might tell you 12%. Seven is kind of the sweet spot. So if we're thinking about that, odds are investing is not going to be mathematically better than paying off your consumer debt. However, there is an exception to the rule, and you've already kind of touched on it. It's retirement. And I am on a campaign right now to rebrand how we talk about retirement because we always say saving for retirement. No, no, Mm. no. You're investing for retirement. And I think that language, first of all, in general is important, but especially when it comes to money, because a lot of times this misnomer really does confuse people. First of all, there are horror stories about people not actually investing the money they're putting into their retirement accounts. And it's just Mm -hmm. sitting there in cash and decades down the line. Yes, it's terrible. People call in. I was hearing horror stories while, you know, doing the research for this book and people would would tell me that they would have clients call in and say, Hey, I'm 60 getting ready to retire. How much is in my account? And they pull it Mm -hmm. up and there's a nice chunk of change in there, but not the kind of money they need to retire because it's just been sitting in cash. 
So I want to say investing or invest for retirement because that's what you're doing. And it's important to be doing that in tandem with debt payoff, particularly Mm -hmm. if you have an employer match. So let's say that your employer tells you you get 4% of a match, which means if you put 4% of your paycheck into the account, it's usually a 401k, your employer will do the same. First of all, you just doubled the amount that you're putting into your 401k with very little effort, which is great. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially free money. And then you can refocus all the extra money extra with big air quotes, because a lot of us (laughs) don't have a lot of extra, but you can focus the rest of your budget on that aggressive debt payoff. Now, for some people, 4% even is like, nope, that's too much. I really don't have that kind of wiggle room. I would advocate start with half a percent or a percent. Even if it's Mm -hmm. just a little bit of money, start putting that Mm -hmm. into your retirement account, get that little match and keep pushing. And then maybe every six months, reevaluate and see if you can push it up by another percent. Can I do 2% now? Can I do 3% until you get to whatever your goal is? Mm Because usually when you increase it by just 1%, you barely feel the difference in your paycheck. So it's a way to, and I kind of hate this metaphor, the frog boiling in water. It sounds real bad. Oh, no. Metaphor, we need to come up with a better one. But it's that sense of you don't realize that you're in that situation until you're in it. Now, usually it's used for a negative, but in this case, it's kind of a positive. You're slowly pushing yourself towards your financial goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, to come all the way back to the original question of balancing it in, I do have this checklist that I outline in the book called Putting on Your Financial Oxygen Mask. And I believe that you have to have certain things achieved. And this isn't just my belief. I interviewed a lot of investing experts for this Mm -hmm. book, and it's really pulled from their advice. And a couple of the things that you need to do, one, you have to set your goals. That's the very first thing you have to do when we talk Mm -hmm. about investing. Because if you don't have goals, well, then there's no way to figure out how to set up your investing plan because you don't know what you're doing it for. Mm -hmm. You also need to master your cash flow. Very fancy way of saying you have to have a budget. At the very least, how much is coming in, how much is going out, what's the difference? And if that's a negative number, really got to buckle down and figure that out. We also want to have an emergency fund. I like to say three to six months of living expenses. And I also like to cushion that by saying it's the bare bones budget that you need. What are the bare essentials that you need Mm -hmm. to keep the lights on, food on the table, rent or mortgage paid, transportation secured so you can get to and from your job? Other than that, everything else pretty much is extras. You mm-hmm. you also need to be able to pay your debts during this. So include that in your basic bills. Mm-hmm. So emergency savings, I would advise three to six months. Some people like to go with six. I think three is good. If you have a lot of consumer debt, I recommend having at least one month of that living expense. And if your living expenses are under $1,000, try to shoot for at least $1,000. And if you have a kid or a pet, because they have emergencies too, I would lop an additional $500 on top of that. So you're really having that extra cushion. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, those kids and pets, they're always finding ways to like hurt themselves and stuff. You know, getting into food they shouldn't be eating, doing stuff (laughs) they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, my dog had his own separate emergency fund because he he was also a senior pup when we rescued him. So we got just this entirely separate emergency fund set up for him because we're like... You have to go to the vet all the freaking time. So this just makes it easier for us to budget. <laughs> yeah. You can just pull it out of there. That's yeah. awesome. And also just kind of back on the checklist idea, another really big thing you need is to have paid off consumer debt mm. before you start investing outside of retirement. Because mm-hmm. again, you're investing for retirement and I want you to think of it as such. And if you get an employer match, please take it. 
The rest of the money gets focused on your debt. Now, student loans are the big question on the table most of the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we're probably going to dig into that as an entirely separate question, but you can very easily balance <laughs> student loans and investing, but you have to do the math on that first. Yeah. Wow. I feel like it's super easy for people to understand with like at least credit cards, but it's not as easy when you get into those like lower interest mm-hmm. debts. Yeah, I think most of our audience is primarily struggling with with student loans. So like how would you say to balance those like whether they be large like a large amount or a small amount if you did want to save invest for retirement. Mm. Um, Yay! During your- <laughs> we got I'm it. Learning. We caught on. It's a really delicate balance. And the very first thing you have to do, which I'm sure has been discussed before and a lot of your listeners have done, is you have to face your numbers. And by that, I mean, write down all of the information. What are the loans? Who owns them? How much is the principal balance? What's the monthly payment? And what's the interest rate? You have to have all that information before you can actually make any sort of plan. Now, once you have that down in front of you, really take a moment to look at that information on those interest rates. By and large, I spoke to quite a few experts for this book, and almost all of them gave the same number, 5%. If your interest rate is above 5%, it makes more sense to focus on paying it down before you start investing outside of retirement. So right Mm -hmm. now, in the context of me talking about investing, I'm talking about investing for other goals other than retirement and putting money into, say, index funds, mutual funds, ETFs. Maybe you're going to do a little individual stock picking. I'm currently not advocating that, but maybe that's something that you're interested in doing. So this is the kind of investing that we're talking about right now in the context of the student loan conversation. If your student loans are under 5%, it could mathematically make sense to be balancing and investing because we talk a lot about investing for retirement, but that's so far away. And you certainly have more medium and long-term goals before then could be buying a house. If you're looking to buy a house in 10 years, well, maybe it does make sense to be investing for it for the first four to five years. And then you want to move that money into something more conservative and something more protected. Maybe you have a child and you want to be investing for that child's college education. If that's 15, 18 years away from now, well, you get a better return. Most likely, I'm not guaranteeing any returns, but you probably get a better return if you start investing that in the beginning, as opposed to just having it sit in cash accumulating somewhere. So that's why it's important to be doing this math and thinking it through. But on the flip side, some of us, and myself included, have a very low debt tolerance. So the idea of balancing and investing and trying to pay off student loans feels really stupid. And you're like, just get rid of the loans because mm-hmm. no one ever regretted paying off student debt faster. I will tell you that for sure. <laughs> Preach. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes down to what is your personal risk tolerance, what is your personal debt tolerance, there is no cut and dry correct answer to this. You have to do the math and you have to do what's best for you and your mental health. And I also just say one of my absolute favorite quotes from the entire book came from Jill Schlesinger, who's a CBS business analyst, CFP, and also wrote the book, Dumb Things Smart People Do With Their Money. And she said something along the lines of, and I'm slightly misquoting, but if you don't want to invest, you don't have to. But when you do invest, your money does some of the heavy lifting for you. And if you don't want to invest, you're going to have to save a whole heck of a lot more to reach your goal. And I think that's a really important thing to consider. Mm -hmm. 
For sure. Yeah. That's a that's good really summary. Well I don't I don't know the direct quote, but that sounded fantastic. I know. <laughs> I liked that version. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. My favorite part about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity when I'm like, wow, I can finally think clearly. How was I functioning in that mess before? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. If this sounds like the type of spring cleaning your finances need right now, then it's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Plus, you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash frugal. That's mintmobile.com slash frugal. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash frugal. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I don't love creating my spending plan each month, and it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. And you're having to deal with some of this on your own too, right? Because you, your debt aversion, you were like debt-free and now you've like married into some debt. (laughs) Yes, I sure have. So that's awesome that you're actually going through this scenario right now. I I am. And I actually outlined quite a bit of it in the book, just kind of going through what our own conversation was in my mental process. And for context, I went to college where I got a lot of scholarship money. So I was able to graduate debt-free. I like to use- congrats. Thank you. I use the gimmicky line of, I gave up going to my dream school in order to live my dream life because Mm -hmm. I knew- Yeah. I like that too. I like that one. Bumper sticker worthy. Yes. Coming in with the one-liners. Yes. <laughs> and I did that because I knew even at 18 that I really wanted to move to New York City after I graduated. Mm. But I also knew that if I came out with like $80,000 of student loan debt, by the way, I was majoring in journalism and theater. So let's be honest about job prospects <laughs> with those degrees. Yes. And I didn't I didn't want to feel forced into taking just whatever job that would pay me in order to start paying my student loans. And I realized that that's the cycle that would happen. So that's why I ended up at the school that I went to. Mm-hmm. Now, my husband, who went to the same school, that's where we met, did end up having some student loans. And not an insignificant amount, mind you. Uh-huh. 
Mm-hmm. But he was able to cash flow his master's degree. So I'm very proud of him for that. Nice. And when we went through the process of getting financially naked, which was many, many years ago, we've been together eight years. We've only been married about six months, though. We got financially naked about two years into our relationship, what, two or three years. What is that? Are you going to tell you, us what that yeah, is? I will. It's when you tell each other all of your deep, dirty financial secrets. <laughs> that was from the first that book. That is. It's all, I have a whole chapter about getting financially naked. There are two different levels. There's the 101 where you're just, you know, kind of the basics. You're dating. How much do we want to spend on presents? How much on dates? If we want to take a trip together, what does that look like financially? And you're starting to get context clues about how your partner spends money that way and their emotional relationship to money. Mm-hmm. 201, which is full frontal financial nudity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Scandalous. I love it. So when you share all the things. Doesn't have to be all in one go, but you do have to achieve that step, especially before getting mm. engaged or married. So I'm very fortunate to have known exactly what I was walking into when we got married in terms of student loans, which was certainly not Mm -hmm. a deal breaker for me. And Mm -hmm. frankly, if it is a deal breaker, good luck, because lots of people have student loans. It's very hard to find a partner Uh or a partnership with at least one person without it. So. Or you may wait quite a while to get married. I know plenty of people who are like, I'm not marrying you with debt. And so it's a couple years until... To each their own, I guess. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I had initially kind of thought that. I'm 29 now, though, and he's still paying them off, and he's a public school teacher. So if I had waited and if we wanted a family, it um, probably wasn't going to (laughs) happen. So something had to give. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Biological clocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Feeling it. But yes, you're right. I did kind of now step into this experience of having student loans. We are paying them off as a team. I'm very much for when you're married, having a team mindset when it comes to money, Mm. again, to each their own. Not everyone has to have completely joint accounts, but for me and for my mental health and for how we handle our money, it's Mm -hmm. best to be a team. And I wanted that debt gone. We have paid off about $17,000 of his student loans in the six, six, seven months since we got married. Yeah. So I think we will be. I bet he's so happy he finally put a ring on it. Well, I actually didn't have an engagement ring, but we could go down that line at a whole, whole different story. I mean, figuratively, (laughs) yes. But that is amazing. Yeah, we, it's been really wonderful and he works really, really hard. It's certainly not just me that's bringing that you know, powerhouse financially to the table. He does a great job of picking up Mm. every possible overtime shift, everything he can do to get Mm. some extra money to throw towards that debt. But it did beg the question. This was a very roundabout way to get back to it. It did beg the question (laughs) of how was I going to change what had been my investing plan for all these years? And did I want to sell any of my investments to pay off the debt? And did we want to, you know, use a lot of our savings to pay Mm -hmm. off the debt? It ended up, we crunched the numbers, we looked at the interest rates. I did end up actually liquidating one of my mutual funds right after we got married to pay off one of his highest interest rates debts just to get it done. It was a private Mm -hmm. loan. There was nothing we could do with it in terms of being able to put it on an income-driven repayment plan. He had looked at refinancing before getting married, but because he's a teacher and his salary is not amazing... (laughs) didn't get an awesome rate for refinancing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It just didn't make sense. So we decided just to eliminate that one. And then we do balance in a little bit still of regular investing. We both put money away for retirement. We're both investing for retirement. 
I just couldn't totally press pause on investing for, you know, two, maybe three years of debt repayment, Mm -hmm. but I significantly lowered how much I put into investments and Mm -hmm. it makes sense with the interest rates. These guys are at Mm -hmm. 5% or below. So I was able to balance it out and the math worked in my favor. Mm. So along those lines, Erin, if someone is deciding to invest while paying off student loans, do you have any other tips for them of things to think about or ways to go about this and to balance this payoff with contributions? I would say the first thing is to just focus on retirement. And if you are traditionally employed, Mm -hmm. getting that match. As long Mm -hmm. as you are getting the full match, you're in pretty good shape. If you can push it up a little bit more, let's say that your employer matches at three, four or 5% somewhere in there. If you mm-hmm. can eventually push it up to be contributing 10% and you feel comfortable with that and you feel comfortable with how you're paying down your student loans, great. Mm-hmm. But if right mm-hmm. now it's just getting the match and putting every other penny towards your student loans because either the interest rates are high, you have a low debt tolerance, whatever it is, that's mm-hmm. totally fine too. Mm-hmm. Whether or not you should be investing outside of retirement while paying off the student loans, again, comes back to that math, comes back to your goals. Yep. If it's above mm-hmm. 5%, I say get rid of the student loans first before you focus on actually balancing in additional investing as well. Mm-hmm. Nice. So the average for right now, I think that most of our listeners will do have is like, I think federal loans are at like 3.86% for undergrad. Graduate obviously will usually fall above that 5%. But say somebody's just got that undergraduate debt. They're not really thinking about investing like in the for real estate or for the number of other things you invest in. They're just trying to maybe grasp retirement. Mm-hmm. What would you say is a safe like a good ideal percentage or way to go to take advantage of those tax advantaged accounts like the 401k, the IRA, the 403b, stuff like that? Like, where would you recommend they they start and how much like to put in ideally? How much of your paycheck to put in? Yeah. Well, the first thing to start with is your employer match in a 401k or a 403b if you have it. I am self-employed, so I'll get to that in a second because mm-hmm. I know there's some people are like, I don't have that. <laughs> yeah. I get it. Yeah. Right here. I you're you're a minority. We'll get yeah. to you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either, but I hear you. Yeah. (laughs) And I would say definitely whatever your match is, try to max it out. General rule of thumb, and what a lot of the experts for the book told me, they like that 10% number. 10% to them is a nice, clean, round number of an amount that you want to aim to be putting away for retirement. If you can max out your 401k, good on you. Congratulations. Let's be honest about what that number is. $19,000 for 2019. That is a lot of freaking money. Even at the peak of me working a traditional job and earning side hustle income and feeling really good about myself, I was not maxing out my 401k. Mm. So that's totally your choice. If you have the ability to put away that much money, great. There are two different types of tax advantage you may or may not be able to take advantage of. Depends on your employer, depends on the vehicle. There's Roth and traditional. Traditional, most 401ks tend to be traditional, but some employers recently have started offering Roth. But traditional is you get the tax break today, but not in retirement. So it's going to lower your taxable income right now. But when you take the money out in retirement, that's when you have to pay Uncle Sam his taxes. Now, Roth is just the reverse. You've already paid the taxes on it today. So it's going in there post-tax. 
So you don't get any sort of benefit right now. But when you take that money out in the future, hey, I've already paid it <laughs> hey, all, all my oh, taxes. It's like an hey. all-inclusive vacation. <laughs> it's already paid for. Yeah, I don't, I don't owe you anything. <laughs> Which is better? It totally depends. A lot of people advise younger folks, millennials, Gen Z, whomever, to use Roth because you don't know what your tax bracket's going to be in the mm-hmm. future. A lot of times, there's this thought that it probably will be higher. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee of that. You don't necessarily know, but. You're kind of locking in, hey, I know what my tax rate is today. I don't know what it's going to be in the future. Mm-hmm. Some people like to hedge their bets that way or to just know, ah, I'm not going to have to pay tax on it when I take it out in the future. Mm-hmm. Great. Either mm-hmm. way, you're investing for retirement. I'm happy. All the other experts are happy. Your future self is happy. Great. That's I would awesome. love if people can do 15%, but let's be real. That's a very high number and you have other savings goals, mm-hmm. short, medium, mm-hmm. and long-term. So if you can make retirement around 10%, not around, but around like a circle. Mm-hmm. I just realized how confusing <laughs> that sounds. If you can decisively put 10% into <laughs> your retirement portfolio, great. I'm proud of you. But if you really need to free up other money, just try to get that match. That's also all well and good. At least you're putting money away for retirement. That's awesome. That I think will be very helpful Mm -hmm. for people that want to invest something, but also are torn between just getting rid of all of Mm -hmm. that debt. Now, I want to talk to my self-employed people for a moment. Yes. I said I would. Thank you. We'll close. I'll close my ears. (laughs) Jen, go, go, just go to the bathroom. (laughs) Okay. I will tell you what I do, which is going to sound a little bit insane when I first lay it out, but just bear with me. Every single time I get a paycheck, I immediately put 45% of that away into what I've labeled my Uncle Sam's account. Mm -hmm. You generally are told to put aside 30% for taxes as a self-employed person whenever you get paid. I bump it up to 45% for two reasons. One, I live in New York City, so I pay state, federal, and city tax. I like to have an extra buffer above 30%. Mm -hmm. Two, it's a forced way for me to save for retirement. Because now every time I pay quarterly estimated taxes, the remainder from the prior quarter can just get dumped into my SEP IRA. So it's a way for me to automatically be saving for retirement. And I'm not having any sort of, oh, at the end of the year or, oh, let's be honest, we don't tend to get tax returns as self-employed people. We usually maybe owe somebody. Always. Yes. So it's not a good idea to try to hope and hold out that there's going to be this magical windfall that happens at some point. You are the only person looking out for you now. You don't have an employer that has your back in any sense. So you have to advocate for yourself and prepare for future you. Now, 45% might sound just way too freaking high, and that's totally fine. Try 35. If putting aside 30% of each paycheck has been a good way for you to be covering your butt when it comes to taxes, pop that up to 35%. So that difference is going to go into, could be a SEP IRA, could be a solo 401k, could just be a Roth or traditional IRA, whatever you want to use. The reason I usually recommend SEP IRAs or solo 401ks is because you can put more money away with a traditional or a Roth IRA. I want to make sure I'm getting it right. In 2019, I believe you can put away $6,000 into your account. I think they just bumped it up from Mm $5,500 in 2018. That's a good chunk of change. But if you can do more, why not give yourself the option? So that's why Mm. I like the vehicles that give you a little bit more flexibility. Mm. Okay. Yes. Okay. Thanks for talking to us, Jen. You can uncover your ears. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. (laughs) Great. 
Um, so also, I know that a lot of people are interested in micro investing apps because they kind of help you invest without thinking or might just be not as scary as opening a brokerage account. Like, what the heck is that? So like, what is your opinion um, or view on micro investing apps in the scheme of all this? I think micro investing apps are a great way to get your feet wet, play around a little bit if you're interested. I wouldn't focus on that being your main way to be investing though. And the other thing I will also say about micro investing apps is you need to be putting in more than just a few bucks a month to actually get any sort of value out of them. The rule of thumb that I've kind of come up with slightly arbitrarily, a little bit of backed up by math, is you need to put in at least $25, but I would even recommend $50 a month in order to truly get the benefit of those apps. And the reason I say that is because the fee sounds super low. Usually it's about a dollar a month, maybe $2 a month. Most of us spend much more than that on just one cup of coffee in a month. So I totally hear when people are like, yeah, it's just a buck a month. Problem is, if you're only putting in 3 or $5 a month, that $1 a month, $12 in the year, is going to eat away all of the returns on the money that you invested. Mm. That's why I like to advise $25 to $50 a month, because then you actually probably are starting to see some returns on your money, which is the entire point. You don't want this actually to mm-hmm. be a money loss. You want this to be something where, okay, I'm starting to get my feet wet. I'm getting a little excited. I'm starting to understand investing a little better. And I'm actually seeing returns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And if somebody doesn't want to focus on, they, like, they just want to focus on retirement at this time, would you say it's like even worth playing around with those apps? Or most of them do have retirement options now that they've added on, so you okay. can open an IRA through them. You got to evaluate the fees that you're paying. This comes down to everything related to investing. As the cliche goes, a dollar paid in fees today is a dollar less for you in the future and a dollar that's Mm -hmm. not compounding for your advantage. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying don't use them or don't look into them, but I am saying if you can go directly to a brokerage and you're not paying a fee every month to have access, even if it's just a couple bucks, that's a couple more bucks in your pocket. Just something to consider. Yeah. Nice. You know, some other great things to consider, Jen. Yeah. Like what? Like the best time of the week. Oh, I've considered that. It's it's the bill of the week. That's right. It's time for the best minute of your entire week. Maybe a baby was born and his name is William. Maybe you paid off your mortgage. Maybe your car died and you're happy to not have to pay that bill anymore. Duck bills, Buffalo bills, Bill Clinton. This is the bill of the week. Aaron, every week we have a listener call in with their favorite bill for the week. And since you are our guest on the Frugal Friends podcast, we'd like to invite you to share your bill of the week. What will it be? Can I have two? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Great. I mean, we're we're all about being greedy here, so go for it. (laughs) Well, the first one technically wasn't this week, but it was about a week and a half ago. And that was the bill for my husband's one of his student loans that we paid off in full. So very exciting. 
And that takes us down to only one student loan left to get rid of. Yes. The, ah. the final one we're working towards. So the, oh, that's such a good feeling. It was. And it really was great because he gets overtime sometimes. He's a teacher, but he also coaches and does stuff on the side. And in New York City, mm. you get paid extra money for doing those things. Mm-hmm. So we, he had one of those paychecks come in and the amount almost perfectly matched up with I this student loan. Always great. Oh, oh I it was, love it. We were actually on vacation when we realized this. It just made the vacation that much sweeter. It was so wonderful. That's awesome. So I'd say that was was a biggie. And then the other one, and this is slightly self-promotional. I apologize in advance, but (laughs) I just put down some deposits on venues for my book tour. And one, having Mm. the capital to pay those off felt really good. And knowing that I'm not going to have to carry any sort of balance, which going to be honest, as much as I love all of my followers, I wasn't going to go into debt to come see you. So it had to be money that I could pay Mm -hmm. off right when it came in. It just felt so good to be able to set up these events. And some of them are sponsored, which definitely is helping offset the cost and enables me to offer very cost-effective tickets to the community. But I'm just so excited about being able to do it. So even though it was a bit of sticker shop, seeing the number, it felt really good. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. How many cities are on your book tour? Right now I have rolled out six and then I'm hoping to add some more. So New York City, Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, LA currently. Oh, both coasts. And hoping to add a few more. I'm so coastal right now. I feel really bad. I'm so trying (laughs) for the Midwest. I've been in talks with a couple of different options out there, but nothing actually landed before I had to announce the tour. They all know they made a bad choice not living near the ocean, so... Yeah. Just gotta give them some love. I also... As a staunch East Coaster over here, the West Coast is getting way more love right now, and I feel like I got to balance that yeah, back that's out true. too. Yeah, and nobody comes to Florida though, unless Actually, they have like a ton of money. I might be coming to a book festival in Fort Lauderdale in July, so stay oh, posted. Fun. That's a long drive for me, but at least Florida's getting some love. I know. It's, yeah, and then I might <laughs> tack on Miami afterwards because I've actually never been. It's be it's careful. Miami. it feels like a a need to do yeah yeah if this is the last time we ever speak to you again um (laughs) we'll tell people where to find your body be careful i mean i live in new york guys it's a different kind of be careful that we're recommending (laughs) (laughs) sorry to all of our listeners in miami we love you but be careful (laughs) if uh If you guys have a bill of the week that you want to share, please visit frugalfriendspodcast.com slash bill. And we want to hear you and uh, see what your bills are, whether it's paying off venues for your book tour or just paying off or paying off student loan. They're all fun. I don't love creating my spending plan each month. And it took me a while to find a budgeting app that had simple features, but didn't feel and look like a spreadsheet. If that's you too, Monarch's the way to go. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. I like how easy it is to customize my budget and create automatic transaction rules. The transaction widget helps me stay on top of my spending. After using Monarch for several months, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. 
And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com slash frugal. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash frugal for an extended 30-day free trial. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. Nerd Wallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards, a free flight, a room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Nerd Wallet, finance smarter. And now for the lightning round. Bum, bum, bum. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> it's, you know, we don't have to do this fast, but we're just going to call it the lightning round because yeah. we're going to ask you whatever kinds of questions we want to ask you, Aaron. You don't have to answer them, but we're going to ask them. It's different every week. Ooh. It's a surprise. So you yourself are an author, which is amazing. But what is your favorite personal finance book that you haven't penned? I hate this question because I like so many of them. I'm but sorry. I will tell oh you my, my gosh, I'm sorry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be sorry, Jill. No, I'm sorry. You had every you had every right to ask that. I I give an answer that I think most people have never heard, and that is The Thin Green Line by Paul Sullivan, who's a New York mm. Times reporter. And it really actually digs into all of the quote unquote secrets of the super wealthy. And it's just a fascinating kind of behind the curtains look at the rich. The other one I really like is called Young Money, sort of the same voyeuristic approach of following year one Wall Streeters. So very Ooh. interesting seeing what that's like. Neither one of these are prescriptive. Hey, here's how to handle your money mm. books. But it's a different way of reading about and learning about money that I think yeah. people should check out. It's great than hearing like, a, you know, the personal finance book that we've all read and heard a million times. Mm. So yeah. never trust an author that doesn't read. And it's true. I think I think we could trust you. Thank you. <laughs> we just learned that so, you're trustworthy. Yeah. You know, second uh, half of the show we and this, yeah. we figured it out. You, that's a testament to how much we vet our uh, <laughs> our interviews. <laughs> um, second question, favorite frugal thing that you do? I actually really like going on walks with my friends. It's a combination of, one, it's healthy. Two, it's frugal. And I like exploring new neighborhoods. Sometimes we're just kind of lazy and do it around our own neighborhood, but we never take the same route. We're always just kind of wandering around aimlessly nice. and checking mm. things out. But I also just like kind of checking out some random neighborhood of New York and wandering and just kind of getting lost there. Amazing. Awesome. Yeah, I noticed that when I go on walks, I normally go the same direction. And then you feel crazy when you're like, places. let's go right out of the driveway instead of left. Whoa. What might we find? <laughs> That's how Jill gets crazy. <laughs> That's how I get crazy on the weekends, you know. Okay, another question. Totally random, but we love food and our listeners love food. So this is for us because we, we said so. What's your favorite yeah. go-to easy dinner at home? Can of salsa, chicken breast, and the crock pot. People yes. do love that. I don't think I've ever tried yes. that before. I haven't either, but 
It is not the first time I've Can heard you do that. it in an Instapot too? You could, yeah. You can also okay. add in some corn. And I like to make rice on the side, put it on mm-hmm. rice. Mm-hmm. If you just want something super easy, it's very hard to beat that meal. And I like spicy, yeah. so it's delicious. Mm-hmm. Do you have a salsa of choice? Honestly, no. I am one of those unfortunate mm. souls who thinks cilantro tastes like soap. So I have to be kind of picky. Yeah. Same. Ah, oh, same. And I love spicy and Mexican food. Oh. I think cilantro tastes like stink bugs. Or have you already they tried smell stink bugs? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's the question, right? They smell. That's the first they question. smell like stink Everyone's bugs. That's ask. my. Yeah. No, guys, I don't need stink bugs. What? <laughs> Be careful. Cool. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Anyways. Aaron, our last and maybe most important lightning round question. Where can people find more about you and what is coming up on Broke Millennial and with your book? You can find me at BrokeMillennial.com, on Twitter at BrokeMillennial, on Instagram at BrokeMillennialBlog, and Facebook also BrokeMillennial. And I have a secret Broke Millennial support group on Facebook too, if you just want an accountability group that's actually mm. nice to each other. Mm-hmm. No picking on each other allowed. You'll get, we like those. You'll get kicked out. <laughs> and We like nice support groups. Yeah, I do too. And everyone's personal journey is personal. So you can't be judging necessarily how people are spending their money and choosing to, you know, do their own thing. In terms of what's coming up, I teased it earlier, but the book tour is a big one. My second book, Broke Millennial Takes on Investing, A Beginner's Guide to Leveling Up Your Money is on shelves April 9th, 2019. I'm going on tour. So it's on now. It's on now. Because it's the, yeah, it's the 25th right now. So it's out now. You can get it wherever books are sold including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Powell's, Indie Books, hopefully your local bookstore, maybe your local library. And if it's not there, please request it. I love people being able to get access to this stuff for free. And I am on tour. You can check out all the tour date information at brokemillennial.com backslash tour. It's happening through April and May, possibly into June, depending on how some things go. Awesome. Love hearing that. Thanks so much for taking the time to hang out with us, Erin. Well, thank you guys for having me. This has been fun. Yeah, it has been good. You're so knowledgeable. Thanks for sharing all your tips. Yes. Thank you. And I'll say a lot of it is just the research. I am not an investing expert. Didn't come into this being an investing expert. It's just a lot of talking to really smart people and figuring Mm. out how to synthesize that into a digestible package. Oh, wow. Well, thank (laughs) you for doing that. Thanks for making it digestible uh, because, you know, we love to eat. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for not making me do it myself. Yeah, of course. Okay, that was fun. And she's that was, um, she's got a lot of tips, man, just in the bag, ready to go, firing Mm -hmm. hot from all cylinders. I don't know what that means, but people say it. (laughs) Anyhow, about our book club. It's April and we're reading Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So why wouldn't you want to read something that would make you think and grow rich? Right? Because we're not just about being like frugal and poor. We're about being frugal and thinking and rich. (laughs) So if your library is already out of Think and Grow Rich and you want a free copy that you can hold in your hand, in your Kindle, or watch on your bookshelf, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher, screenshot the review, 
and send it to frugalfriendspodcast at gmail.com. And we will select one winner for every five reviews that we get sent to us. Yes. And if you guys are like, okay, books are out of the library. I want to enter to win this book, but okay, now what do I do about a review? How, what does this look like? Well, it looks like five stars, all five yellow stars. And this like. one is similar to that, right? It's five stars. From Jane. Thanks so much, Jane. She says, great podcast. These ladies are relatable, and this podcast provides a well-rounded look at a variety of frugality-related topics. I like that they often present a variety of options, like multiple ways to budget, and they don't take themselves too seriously. It's a helpful and fun listen. You're right, Jane. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And Jane was actually one of the winners of our Meet the Frugal Woods book, and uh don't you know she got a used copy of Meet the Frugal Woods? Yes. I mean, who do you think we are? <laughs> she got a book. We never said whether or not it was going to be brand new or used. We right? just said you'd get a free book. Well, now you know. Now you know it's used. I I get I order used books from Amazon for our winners. <laughs> So that's how you know you're a frugal winner. Yeah. yeah. If you expected anything different, you are listening to the wrong podcast. Did it have like someone's name on the inside and highlights throughout it too? You have to ask Jane. It's kind of You'll a perk. have to ask Jane. You know yeah. what? You could so. you could autograph it and it'd be worth even more. I could. Who doesn't want Jen Smith's autograph? Stick around for next week to see if I autograph any books that I didn't write. (laughs) Until then, bye. See you guys. Frugal Friends is produced, edited, and mixed by Eric Siriano. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.